Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas, you will be timed. Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have, like, you know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. <laughs> a lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, yeah, you, you were different. And so much more. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Get The Table, another wrestling roundtable discussion podcast with myself, Adam Wilborn, and the Dadly Boys of What Culture, Michael Hamlet and Michael Sidgwick, here to discuss another burning wrestling issue, and that issue today is everywhere that AEW went wrong in 2022, Sidg. It feels like there's only one place to start here, and it is, of course, Brawl Out. Yeah, what a terrible situation. Just in general, I know the title of this podcast might annoy some people, but ultimately it was... Probably AEW's most uneven year yet. Still capable of the magic. Returning to form, actually. Um, like Anarchy in the Arena. It's an AEW original. It's the thing that only that company in this point in time um, is capable of. But Brawl Out was a complete disaster. The mismanaged farce of a situation. And a multi-layered one at that ahead of the actual incident was just a complete farce. I will never, in my for the rest of my days, understand why Tony Khan didn't simply book Colt Cabana to lose to someone on Dark Elevation when these rumors really started to intensify. It's like, it is the show on which people get pinned in very sort of decisive, often short, predictable matches to give people reps, to give people the like illusion of a record. That's what Dark Elevation is, right? And... Cole Cabana is a guy who is very, very talented, but he's reached his ceiling as a performer and a star, and his role is, or it should be, or it was, to lose. It's the perfect relationship between, like, program and character, and yet they never did it. Why? That's the question. I think that's the smoking gun, if you like. Why didn't he, as soon as this was booting off, clarify the entire situation by saying, well, of course he's still allowed to wrestle here. The ROH, he's exclusive to ROH a load of bollocks and everyone mm. knows this because of another talking point we're going to discuss and that is ROH polluting, contaminating AEW television. So why didn't Colt Cabana take a pin on Dark Elevation? Like someone like Takeshita. Like there's loads of people who he mm. wants to get over at the same time. A Wardlow squash, anything. Why didn't he? Is that because he was told or did Punk very much insinuate without explicitly saying, I don't want him around here anymore. I'm sick of the vibe and all the rest of it. We might never know the answer to any of this, but ultimately, if um, there was absolutely nothing in the face value thing that Tony Khan has said, like, oh, trust me, I did it of my own volition. Punk had nothing to do with it. If that was the case, he must have known 
that the rumors were going around. He's extremely online and connected and on the pulse. He should have done that, and I've got no earthly idea why he hasn't, and I can only be cynical about it. If, if, and again, libel, all the rest of mm-hmm. it, if CM Punk has said, don't want him around, do not want him around, Tony Concha went, like, tough titties, like, the locker room really, really likes him, you're putting me in a terrible spot, you're stepping on my dick, <laughs> and, like, bad things will happen as a result of this, can we sort of talk it out? Does it have to be so extreme one way or the other? The fact that at least something could have been clarified with a very simple booking decision or just a stern word, I'm the boss and I'm in charge. And it didn't, and everything got toxic backstage, and then we led to brawl out. I don't know why I just sat there. I can I can almost sympathize with him, but at the same time, he should have just said, look, this is getting a bit heated. Uh, we're going to have to just bring an end to this. And it's mm. just the whole thing. It was a complete and utter farce. And at the end of it, you have lost your top drawing star. And you really should have got ahead of it because it was ridiculous. I should also caveat this by saying before people plow into the comments or Twitter and say we're shilling for WWE here, we are going to do this exact same thing with regards to WWE as well, just to balance things out. But you were Double the negativity. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Uh, You were watching All Out. You were working it for us, the reactions and what have you. And... By the time you'd got out and filmed what went down, it was kind of pointless because no one really cared about that show, did they? Yeah, it was quite remarkable, actually. I remember at the time when, I, when me and Sidgwick were first talking about it, one of your first things was, well, regardless of what CM Punk has tried to do in his own head, four people, four people, he's just burnt that entire card to shreds. Like, ripped it to shreds, burnt it smithereens. Anything you've watched on that show no longer matters, as you say. Um it's funny you mentioned about doing the WWE equivalent of this podcast, of this roundtable, because in terms of what went wrong for AEW, it, it's hard to look past Brawl Out, I think, as the, the centre of... And, like, again, to Sidgwick's point, it wasn't just what went wrong on that night. It was That was ultimately a symptom of a bigger problem that was never truly addressed, and it was, it was just how it was going to manifest, and that was the way it manifested in the end. I'm not so sure in 2021, this time last year, we could have done a what went wrong in 2021 for AEW. Not in good faith. We'd have been looking for stuff mm. that went wrong. We'd have been reaching. We'd reaching, been reaching, bro. We'd have been nitpicking. Um, we'd have been trying to find ways in which we could have made a nine and a half out of ten promotion of ten. And that's not the case this year. And in a sort of macro sense, that feels like what's gone wrong. What what's gone wrong for AEW this year specifically is that is that it is no longer a promotion where you have the the guarantee, and I would say, by the way, they're turning the nose up creatively at the moment, like in tremendous fashion. They're ending the year on a real high creatively. Mm. But Dynamite is no longer the almost guaranteed, distilled best two hours of wrestling. I mean, most of the time it is, but it's not a guarantee anymore. It, it doesn't have that stamp that it did have at one point. The punk elite schism, I guess, is such a shame because after Brawl Out, it, couldn't, it didn't seem like both could exist in AEW, and they were destined to lose something there was no, you know, the Michael Scott, Toby Flenderson, win, win, win file. It was just never going to happen. You were going to lose. If, if you don't even like CM Punk, you like AEW, and AEW's just lost its biggest draw. And you could tie, what, like 30,000 buys per pay-per-view probably to CM Punk, and it remains a question mark as to if they'll ever get those back. That's ignoring what he does as a kind of artist within pro wrestling and how he helps those he did work with, even if, you know, that'll remain questionable exactly who he helped and what kind of figure he was in the locker room. There's absolutely no doubt, and you can see it in his work, how MJF benefited from working with CM Punk. Um, and there would have been others, you assume. Powerhouse mm. Hobbs was very uh, said he was very giving with his time, and over the course of a longer stint, there would have been more people that would have praised 
is that I'm sure. Um, or you were going to lose the elite, and the immediate absence of them seemed to just create this this cloud over the show and this realization that they are um, their fans certainly can't really watch AEW the same way without them being a part of it. Uh, Cody leaving felt different all of a sudden when Kenny and the Young Bucks were there because then and Page I guess as well Hangman Page and uh, not featuring as much it suddenly felt like well this just simply isn't AEW. So the idea of having to pick one side or the other was going to leave the damage and we're kind of still, we're living with that damage now, even if long-term AEW won't miss Punk mm. from an in-ring point. They will get over, every every wrestler leaves, every wrestler moves on, you will always get over these things. But I think we're just still living with the damage of a, a fan base that maybe doesn't feel as connected. It's, it's these intangibles, it's a relationship that you build with a product and with a brand. And WWE have got that, you know, from all of this history, mm. there'll be people like myself, I guess, that will stick with it in spite of itself so often. And AEW have created that, but it's just felt like that's frayed a little this year because ultimately the audience they were building was a very discerning one. And a discerning audience wants a steady maintenance of quality all the time. And this wasn't the year where they kind of didn't feel like AEW were upholding their end of the bargain as yeah. much as a creative force this year. Uh, Sige mentioned Ring of Honor, and we will get onto that in due course. But even disregarding that for a second, uh, I feel like a bit of a broken record talking about Tony Khan signing too many people. As I said, not mentioning ROH. And I'm a hypocrite as well because we're going to sit here probably in a few weeks and say, great to see Mercedes Monet mm -hmm. potentially becoming all elites. But this felt the year that it finally sort of came back to haunt him. It's such a, a strange and difficult thing that we've laboured over on individual show reviews when somebody debuts or when we're talking about this as a wider problem, if indeed it is a problem. Uh, every now and then a wrestler got released or a wrestler will make themselves available and individually, case by case, I would say seven or eight times out of ten, you go, oh, I'd sign them. But obviously then quantity and excess and all the rest of it piles up and suddenly this roster is too big. Um, I've said it before, my issue isn't what a lot of people have with, oh, you've just brought these people in completely cold because I would say most of the time the crowd reacts. So the AW crowd knows Excalibur tells you who they are, whatever. There's, there's, there's enough for me, even if some people dare suggest there's not enough in the way of video packages and introductions. My issue is, as a fictional television show, there wouldn't be anything else you would watch where new characters come in with such frequency and you are expected to care about them as much as you do these other characters that you've just met. It simply wouldn't work. I remember um, Series 2 of The Wire was quite brave in how it took you away from where everybody had been in Series 1 and asked you to invest in all these new characters. By Series 3, you were back to the characters in Series 1. They could only do that temporarily as if to make like a wider point. Mm. Um I'm not comparing AW to The Wire, but in terms of wrestling, there was points where we were suggesting this was prestige, HBO-level pro wrestling. If the pro wrestling was going to be prestige, it was going to be in AW. It took away from that feeling of prestige because the Kingdom get picked on. They're a great tag team, but they rocked up off the back of so many other debuts where for this one week, maybe this two-week, three-week period, you were told the Kingdom matter right now, and then you move on from them, and it's on to the next people that matter right now. And I just think that erodes a certain... Um, I don't know, a, a loyalty towards wrestlers. You, I, like, I approach certain wrestlers at a bit of arm's length because I'll get into them, but then I don't want to have my investment not consistently rewarded. So if I see somebody coming in and it's really, really cool, but then it isn't, it, you're told it kind of doesn't matter three or four weeks later because these new people here, these shiny new toys are here a few weeks later. It just, you, you feel like you get your fingers burnt by it a little bit as a viewer. And I say that as, you know, we watch it every week analytically, but often you're kind of trying to like manifest, well, what's this wrestler going to do next? Or what story are they involved in next? And the answer to often felt like it was nothing. 
Mm. Even if so, even if that wasn't the case, even if Keith Lee wa- had this amazing debut and they were cooking up swerving our glory all along, you know, it just felt like, oh, where's he gone? Mm. That debut was awesome. Where's he gone? And the, because of the frequency of the signings and the quantity, that feeling kept coming back up. And it does, again, it's another thing that like emotionally detached me a little bit from AEW as a, as a brand. And it's not just about the newer signings getting lost in the shuffle as well, Sid. You and I have talked recently about the likes of Wardlow and an obvious name, obviously, that crops into everyone's head is bloody hell's Miro it is an issue like admittedly like I say case by case we'll sit here and go well you can't like Cena if he came up or Lesnar you have to sign them you can't just say no signings in 2023 whatever it may you know certain people you have to sign exactly for the banter yes but um, yeah it just the the phrase bloated I'm tired of saying it with regards to AEW's roster it's just ridiculous at this point how many acts are on it and it's not just because I have a subjective favourite and they're not featured as much as I personally would like I think collectively by having this approach it's the opposite end of the extreme of WWE's fixed small cast where you know you can watch the same wrestlers over and over again in similar angles well brawls, he can't really book angles, and situations, and the like, and it's the opposite end of that extreme, the rotating cast used to work wonderfully, I could go two or three weeks without a Kenny Omega match on Dynamite in 2020, early 2020, and then when it arrived, you're like, yes, get in, I've missed that, I've been allowed to miss that, it's good promotion, it's anticipation, it's build, now, you can go too long without seeing your favourites, their momentum is completely gone, um, I just don't think you can teach patience, Tony Khan has tried to teach, or retrain the audience to sort of relearn old lessons that should have been timeless and never abandoned, but that was WWE's monopoly for you. You can't reteach patience. And at the same time as well, like, I loved watching a Darby Allen and a uh, Wardlow, for example. Mean yours, mine and yours, sorry. Favorite thing, Wardlow, was the, when he was like, give me that strap, and then he lunged forward and he belted Cody, and it looked like agony. Then they built him up as this monster, right? It was so much easier for Wardlow to emerge in that era of AEW than it would be for him to have momentum or to maintain his momentum in this era of um, AEW because it's just too stacked. And the analogy I've used uh, in the past is it's like Spotify Premium where there is so much choice and you can't really, really emotionally connect with a new record because the algorithm is just spitting out new thing after Mm. new thing after new thing. And it was just better, in my opinion anyway, like luxuriating in the groove of each record. And it's just, uh, it's too out of whack for the amount of stuff that I'm being asked to invest in. It's impossible to invest in that much. And another byproduct is if if Wardlow has a bad week or he goes without defending the TNT title and he has a match and it's like, oh, it was good and it was fun, like the Orange Cassidy match, but it wasn't great. Mm. If... One of the shiny new toys has this amazing week. Suddenly, in comparison, Wardlow looks a bit like yesterday's news. Mm. And it's like it was literally yesterday where he was like really over. But it's just Tony Khan has more energy and enthusiasm and the ability to focus on like three different incredible um, high-pressure jobs. I don't think he can relate to the audience on that level. Mm. Even if he gets their taste, he gets what they've been missing out on. He needs to realize that his audience doesn't have half the energy or the ability to balance things in his mind. Um, And it's, for better and worse, it's very much Tony Khan's promotion, and those words have never been more true in 2022. I think the quantity in excess as well has led to something like, in keeping with this title, where AEW have gone wrong. That led to the debuts or the power of a shiny toy or somebody being over for a little bit did result in the accidental abandoning of the rankings that then became 
sort of talked into existence and they actually abandoned them. And a smaller roster allowed everybody, not just Tony Khan's full head, to keep up with, like, it was fairly easy to keep up with who was building momentum, mm. who was putting wins together. You would go on the website once a week to double check, but it was mainly things that you thought you knew. Like, at the point at which, like, FTR made a joke of it all year, didn't they? But the point at which they were rising up the rankings, it was when you could still track it. Well, they have won four or five and about, so we know they're... Yeah, you would get exceptions. Somebody was racking up 30 wins on Dark or whatever, but for the most part, it felt like with a smaller roster, it was way easier to keep a handle on the rankings, and when they seemed to notice that this is getting trickier because we're bringing new people in and we want to use them now and they want to get title shots or whatever, um, it allowed them... It gave them justification to start utilising them less, and already I think we can all agree how much they're missed about mm. what... I don't know what a useful framework that was for, you, for your TV show and how every now and then when it was part of the booking and it informed a particular match or a particular decision, it was fantastic. We all think about the FTR tag gauntlet or the hangman page loss at the last minute. Like when the rankings were used effectively in the booking, it was exhilarating stuff mm. because it suddenly meant a theoretical meaningless match mean everything. An opener for Hangman Page against Brian Cage on a pay-per-view is suddenly kind of life or death for the Cowboy getting his title shot. It's not just that as well. Like, because of the um, the framework of the ranking system, literally every single match had stakes. Yeah. It was like a genius device. That's the, the story that people are calling That's for. That's the story, yeah. yeah. It stakes, yeah. And it's just... It, it, kills me that they've abandoned this because it was just so perfect and was so easy to invest in literally everything because you knew that every result mattered and you had a nice visual uh, means of uh, tracking it. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. And then you've got to factor in Ring of Honor and what on earth has gone on there this year. Like it was a, you know, Tape Library was a welcome addition. We've talked in the past about. The stars that you would cherry pick from that roster, and they would automatically become all elite. But amalgamating the whole roster, storylines, promoting the pay per views, etc., into AEW just muddied the waters a bit, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, it just felt it made it feel small. Like AEW's never felt smaller at certain points than it has this year, um, which is another wider problem. Like the gates are down, the atmospheres have been a bit drab. Again, we're going to meet, we're probably going to look like dickheads because when this gets released over the Christmas season, mm. like they'll be on a streak, all going well, looking at those. Um, Looking at the momentum in the in the upcoming match cards, like we'll look like arseholes because they'll be on like a five or six week streak of like really bringing the magic back. Um, but ROH for me, right? What people don't get is, say, if I'm on Twitter and I'm criticizing ROH because I'm saying it's something like inessential, 
and someone says, well, when's it ever missed? What's ever been actively bad about ROH? It's like, well, for me, you're missing the point. The question is not when is it missed? The question for me is what has it truly accomplished, right? Look at what AEW has accomplished since 2019. It's brought the emotion back to wrestling. It's brought the range back to wrestling. It's brought the blood getting back to mm-hmm. wrestling, the meaning, like the unmissable um, two-hour experience, the community, even though it's pretty much polluted, <laughs> but the whole idea of being able to talk about it, and like that's what it's accomplished. It's accomplished something that no other promotion has this century, right? What's ROH accomplished other than some good matches? And God damn it, I'm so bored of good matches and great matches. I see them all the time. I'm so much more impressed by an angle than a great match or a lovely detail or something than a great match. I'm not saying I hate great matches. Mm. I'm saying as a USP, it's absolutely overdone. The back and forth, the competitive back and forth. You see so many competitive back and forth matches every single week. What is it, what is it actually accomplished Ring of Honor? I think they've got to be special matches, and I would say there's been two, and it would be the first and third FTR Briscoe's match. Yeah, yeah, Special. But that's and that's was, it. That two out of that is a pathetic percentage. That's what I was building to. Like, the only thing mm. that ROH has given me that AEW couldn't have actually delivered to me under its own branding umbrella is the Briscoe brothers. Thank Christ, because those matches were absolutely incredible. But ultimately, there's no... Nothing ROH has done historically or is doing now, AEW doesn't do, right? It's just not the WWE, CW alternative. For those first two one-night stands anyway, that was exhilarating. That was absolutely exhilarating. It was something they simply didn't do. What does ROH do that AEW doesn't, except with like a way less significant brand value and attachment Mm. and... And again, it didn't even have that ECW effect where people were beginning to mythologize it because they missed it and the monopoly was so bad in contrast to the days in which AEW, uh, ECW was like a mainstay, a big revolutionary thing. Like Ron Strowman had like invaded the last ROH show. This thing was dead. This thing was utterly dead. There was no time to get nostalgic about it. Um, it wasn't even good when it was on the decline. Um, that makes no sense. It wasn't even good when it was sort of going out of like the, mm. the mainstream radar or like the wrestling fan radar. Um, it hadn't done anything really unique. I think NXT had subsumed its identity like long before um, AEW did. So I just don't understand what the hell he was playing at, to be perfectly honest. The title inflation is ridiculous. If ROH was like a part of AEW, but it was like an exhilarating, different, unique thing, I would have loved it probably. But it's not those things, and it just made no sense to me why you would try and integrate it, because it's just not a new thing. It's All it's done, it's more excess, and it's just diminished the value of AEW, its titles, and it just made it feel small. Yeah, it's, it's like I say, it's, it's the bloated roster, it's even more titles when people are already annoyed with Excess it. is the word. It's yeah. the one word that describes AEW's 2022 and what's ruined it. Cause Excess. Because, you know, dealing with all that as well meant that they weren't dealing with the issues with interim titles and things mm. like that. And, you know, the issues that they had around, right, is Tony Storm the champion or is Thunder Rosa the champion? And when are we going to get Tony, you know, when are we going to get Thunder Rosa back, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I, like I said, I, I think muddying the waters is the best uh, best way of putting it, as well as bloating the roster, excess of titles, as Sidge says, and forcing it so that storylines come and go on television. You have to remember something that happened. I know it doesn't seem that difficult to remember something that happened two weeks ago or whatever, mm. but the fact that it's not just every week a continuous slow development. It felt as though, um, and I think the titles were part of this, there used to be within AEW matches that would take place 
Um, and it's typical of Tony Khan that you would have a winner and a loser, and that it would, but it would clearly exist for a purpose beyond itself. So there would be a match, and then there would you would see that somebody was rising up the ranks, so they were involved in an angle with somebody else, and it was quite straightforward to recall. For all that AEW was quite complex for for the way it like approached its first couple of years of booking, it was quite straightforward if you just stopped for a second to remember who was feuding with who and how like relationships were forming and you would see not necessarily stables coming together but friendships so you could believe that these people hung out off screen and as a result so-and-so is an ally of so-and-so so that's why they're fighting each other and that might trigger a little kickoff over there the titles in particular seem to do away with that it's staggering and yet unsurprising that we found ourselves in a bit of a 2001 uh, wwe alliance situation where everybody was coming out there with a belt and that became instead, rather than think, rather than the matches when we would do a dynamite preview, the matches being like, right, so and so's feuding with so and so because in the meantime, so and so's fighting Daniel Garcia because there's a Chris Jericho thing in the background, and we know there's a little link between those two now. It's uh, Daniel Garcia is the pure champion, so we're having a pure title match, and that became the an easy thing to slap on a graphic. Mm. It made something feel high stakes. We have like it feels like between. I would say like two to four title matches a week across Dynamite and Rampage and increasingly only the world title. And I would say through Tony Storm, the women's title uh, are the ones that are preserved for special occasions or that you're given more of a week's build up. The TNT, the ROH TV title, the tag belts, they're just getting defended now with a regularity uh, that makes it look from the outside that... Oh, does this uh, dynamite need a bit of juice or slap a title match on it? That's it, that's just bad practice. That's fundamentally bad practice because you, it's like I don't know. It's it's poor use of mm. your belts. You're using your belts to elevate something rather than the belts themselves being put on this pedestal. They just don't feel like the prize they use. I can't imagine now the days when um, you had something with the heft of. Uh, Brody Lee and Cody Rhodes, or Cody Rhodes and Darby Allen for that TNT title. We are so, so far, with that belt specifically, but we are so, so far removed from that. And the contrast of that of that era versus kind of the TNT's Road to Ruin, which was the Scorpio Sky, Sammy Guevara stuff, they, they, they feel like different promotions yeah. talking about those title switches. Uh, yeah, and it was another thing of like we were crying out for trios championships for so long. Thankfully, we finally got them, and uh, we're very much enjoying what's going on with them right now. But like, it was so devastating when they're like, "Here's six new titles, mainly obviously from Ring of Honor or whatever, and here's we're getting a new AW title, the All Atlantic." And you're like, "That's great, but that's not what I was hoping." No, I didn't yeah. think it was great at all. <laughs> um, but in terms, we've talked about a lot of overarching stuff with AEW here. As we bring this to a close, one of the things you had an issue with specifically, Hamlet was the feud between Chris Jericho and Eddie Kingston and how that went. Yeah, um, you could lump excess into this as well because it went on too too long, but it got to the point where uh, it, they seemed so stubborn about, I say they, I don't know whether I'm talking about Tony Khan, about Chris Jericho, about a combination of the two, but they seemed incredibly stubborn that Jericho, it's like Hogan must pose in the 80s, Jericho must get his by the end. So you have this absolutely fabulous, committed match at Revolution that books Eddie Kingston with such conviction that everything we've said about him being this unlikely world champion feels like it's about to come true. Wow, so he's just beaten Jericho. He's facilitating a heel turn for Chris Jericho, which is going to be big for him. But now Kingston moves on. Again, in the rankings world, Kingston would move onwards and upwards. Instead, what happened was he got kind of enslaved by his program. Anarchy in the Arena was a masterpiece. A new genre invented like seemingly out of nowhere because it was just an arena-wide brawl that they pitched perfectly and Kingston was the right guy at the right time with the right petrol can. <laughs> but after the fact, and we were just like re revisiting barbed wire everywhere in the office before <sighs> this, the 
the rate of the decline was was shocking, quite honestly, in terms of the work, in terms of how Eddie Kingston's momentum just completely stalled. And he's so awesome that he he's pulled himself back out. He can do it with one promo. He can pull himself back out of the hole. But he shouldn't have been putting it in the first place. Mm. Like, promotional malpractice to leave Eddie Kingston in such a state after that Chris Jericho thing. And the fact that it all fed in to a Blackpool Combat Club Jericho Appreciation Society feud that has now become the shorthand for Christ, wrap it up. Mm. AW. Like, there's always one of those in AW at any given point, but that feud in particular being the wrap it up one when we were initially so excited about the the idea of the re- like the Wheeler Utes and the Daniel Garcia's being the wrestlers and the, you know, like the Jake Hager's being mm. this this idiot now with a hat. To where we are now, it just seems, in- again, it seems inconceivable that a 2021 a, or 2020, especially AW, could fumble it like mm. they did with Kingston especially. It's it's why I'm a bit of a cynic with Chris Jericho. We're recording this in the week where we've just seen this awesome action Andretti thing and yet rooted in my mind is this feeling like, are you going to help Ricky Starks or hinder him when this programme kicks off? I just don't know because it didn't go well with Kingston. And mm. um, One of your final issues uh, with AEW this year, Sid, is, is AEW Rampage. It's been it's, it's such a disappointment this year. Mm-hmm. I'm sick of it. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> sick of it. Previewing it. As part of my job, right? I don't. Would I watch Rampage if I didn't have this job? And I'm so blessed and lucky to have it. Mm. Um, and I worked hard for it. But uh, would I watch it? I would certainly be watching AEW Dynamite. Yes, I think it's great. I think it's absolutely fantastic. It's been my favorite wrestling promotion, not named New Japan Pro Wrestling, of my entire adult fandom. Rampage is just. You know who's winning every single match. There's only one match at best that you know is going to be really, really good. Um, they don't care about it. It's mutually apathetic at this point. Um, it almost feels like sabotage. Like some of the cards we got over the summer, I don't know what the hell they were thinking there. Absolutely no idea. Not good enough because when AEW launched, and the thing is, if they can ask me to invest in some like MGF's entire uh, AEW career as one arc, mm-hmm. and the Elite Saga as an arc, they entrust me to remember that, I'm almost certainly going to remember and hold them account to certain things they said in their messaging at the start of the promotion's life. Like, obviously, I'm not going to hold them to a experimental idea that they probably realized wasn't going to work, like tracking the effectiveness of finishers and, like, body part damage and how that's going to inform a wrestler's performance in the next match. That was ultimately probably a little bit too dry and complex and experimental. So I'm not exactly going to say, oh, idiots, you should have done that. You promised me that. It wasn't going to work right but I should be allowed to remember and hold to account the idea that they said when they launched, look, we know part of the problem with WWE is that they once said, George Barrios, I think it was, um, but I'm not absolutely 1 million percent sure, uh, sure. We have learned that our fans will consume any content that we throw <laughs> at them, and we are there going, therefore going to super serve it. Like it's a big, bloody, extra large <laughs> fries for these fat heads who like to watch WWE, and we don't care about them. We don't care about any art. We I would say, say it's my face, but you are. So, so. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, you're more of a square head than a fat head. <laughs> and they literally said, oh, these, f- these fat arseholes will just eat anything. Any old WWE slop, right? And AEW was like, well, no, that's the worst way to do it. Two hours a week, even that's like pretty long on bad shows. Four pay-per-views a year. We want it elusive. We want a premium. How it should be, basically. So to do an hour of content on Rampage mm. every Friday. Like, why am I watching it? I'm watching you get a better rights fee, probably. I'm not watching this exhilarating, must-see, dramatic, 
um, well thought out professional wrestling program about 80% of the time at this point. It started off so well as well. Yeah, it was awesome. Now it's content. Now it's just content and I can't be asked. Like there's certain times when I'm waking up on a Saturday and thinking, right, okay, I'm not going to set my alarm for this to preempt my kids waking up. They can just wake me up as they do every Saturday, like seven o'clock. I'm not getting up at six to watch this. I'll wait until Saturday night. Oh, hang on, now I've got a better use for my time. I want to play this game or I'm going out yeah. or I'm touching grace. <laughs> or, um, you know, I'll wait till Sunday. Sunday night, oh, the World Cup's on. I'm obviously going to watch the World Cup. Uh, Monday morning, I'll just get up early before I have to do the podcast. So if I'm saying that in my professional duties, yeah. what are the fans thinking? And they're thinking, looking at those ratings, disastrous at times. I'm not going to watch this meaningless content. Rampage. Well, let us know your thoughts on everywhere AW went wrong in 2022. And as I said, we will be doing the exact same thing for WWE. So make sure you check that out on the channel. Sure, that will help the accusations of bias. Uh, <laughs> or on what culture wrestling wherever you get. Most of you are great. Uh, you can let us know your thoughts as well, uh, not only in the comment section, but also on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE, where you can also follow all three of us. You can follow Michael Hamflit at Michael Hamflit. Follow Michael Sidgwick at M. Sidgwick. Follow me at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at What Culture WWE, as I said. But for now, this has been Get the Table. My thanks to the Dadly Boys. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you soon. Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas. You will be timed. Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have, like, you know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. <laughs> a lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, yeah, you, you were different. And so much more. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.